Giannato's with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, October 4th, and this is the Fistionados podcast. I am your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email at fistionados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at Vistianato's Pod. I am a week late in getting this out, but the past three weeks have been crazy, and I probably could have put out a show each week. I was on vacation last week. I'm still recovering from a cold that started in Key West that I pretty much just pretended didn't exist while I drank on vacation, and now I have a horrendous cough a little bit of a stuffed up nose that you might hear. And if you hear a clicking noise, that is me pausing the podcast to stop. I apologize in advance. I just don't want to sound like a complete train wreck. But let's get started. I know I said last episode that I wanted to review HBO's year so far, but for a few reasons, I wanted to do more of a State of the Union sort of taking a look at the entire landscape. I can look back at HBO's year, but why bother when they have caused a huge number of stories uh, in the business that are all worth looking at, and, and they're massive stories. So there's also there's a lot of great fights coming up in the fall. There were some great fights that happened in the last three weeks. There have been significant announcements in the world of boxing, <laughs> in the world of boxing. Some that have given us a little peek behind the scenes. I think it's all fun stuff to talk about, so let's get into it. I promise you, there will be a review of HBO's year at some point in the near future. But you know, I guess some of that I will get into. But let's just let's let's start going. Okay. To the review section, on Thursday, September 13th, Pablo Cesar Cano defeats Ruslan Madia via technical decision. That's right, that was my last episode. It was that long ago. We're going back to Thursday, September 13th. The fight ends in a clash of heads with Cano ahead on all three scorecards here. I usually don't talk about fights like this, but for this episode, because of that big fight week, I will talk about this, and I think the noteworthy thing here is that this fight card didn't break the top 150 cable shows of the day for Thursday the 13th. Uh, several different sports centers and studio shows on ESPN2 that day beat it, and I don't have a lot more to say about it other than clearly many of these Golden Boy shows aren't doing great. I guess more on that a little bit later, but it did not break the top 150 shows on cable TV. On Friday, September 14th, on ESPN, Top Rank had a show where Jose Ramirez won by unanimous decision over Antonio Orozco, (coughs) excuse me, in what was a really awesome fight to watch. The fight does 662,000 viewers, and just to be clear, on both nights, and I guess this is in a little bit of defense of what Golden Boy did on Thursday... For both nights, remember, that was Hurricane Watch. Uh, for the top-ranked show, the Weather Channel, which if you look at how they split up their programming, they split it up into hour-long programs for each hour of the day. The Weather Channel had the number 2, 3, 5, 8, 9, 11, 12, 14, and 16th rated shows of the day for that Friday. That's crazy. They also posted strong numbers on Thursday, to be fair to Golden Boy, like I said earlier. Probably stating the obvious, that does not happen that often. It only happens when hurricanes or other natural disasters are happening. Let's go back to the card, where are the takeaways? I really enjoy watching Jose Ramirez fights. Uh, This one was really good. I enjoy watching Antonio Orozco fights. 
He put up a great fight. I'm really interested in seeing him fight again. There are going to be a lot of great fights to make at this weight class, and I think there are some really good next steps for uh, Ramirez. You know, Ramirez could fight the winner of Saucedo and Hooker. He could fight another similar guy to Orozco. Uh, I would love to see him fight Jorge Linares, uh, now that Linares has, has successfully moved up. He makes great TV. If I was ESPN and top rank, I'd start positioning him to be in one of those higher-level, heavily-marketed fights soon. Um, you know, because between the winner of excuse me, Saucedo and Hooker, between the WBSS uh, and Linares and Mikey Garcia, we're going to have some big-time potential matchups coming up, and you'd like to see him, especially if Mikey Garcia gets involved, uh, you'd like to see him have sort of one of those Lomachenko or Crawford-level marketing pushes before he gets that Garcia fight, if that's in the cards. Uh, but he makes really good TV. He has a great story, um, and even if he loses one of those fights, I don't think it hurts him that much. So, on to the big one, Saturday, September 15th. Biggest fight of the year, Canelo Alvarez wins by majority decision over Triple G. Last episode, we talked about this for quite some time, at least the promotion. Um, I think it merits some further discussion, but there is a lot to get into this episode. So I, I still want to touch on it here. Pay-per-view buy numbers initially coming in at a reported 1.1 million buys. Even for me, that's a low number. Those of you new to the show should check out my last episode, which went into all the mistakes that were made along the way for this pay-per-view sort of promotion. I won't rehash those here, but what I will say is even in the final two days leading up to the fight, I did not see that many commercial spots for it. Um, I was targeted on social media for it, but not as much as I would have expected. And quite frankly, I've seen a lot more social media ads and TV ads for DAZN recently. Um, and, and I saw more than I did for, for this fight. None of that's good. It reeks of like a cheap attempt at recovering from the first fight not happening, uh, which is not what you want to see. What I do want to say about the fight, though, is it was a great fight. It was fought at an extremely high skill level. It was a real chess match. It was great back and forth momentum swings. Uh, I definitely scored it for Triple G, but I think having Canelo winning is a totally fine scorecard. Uh, although it should be noted, most people and most journalists seem to agree with me in scoring it for Triple G. The biggest point here that I want to make that I want to make is coming out of this like three years ago, trust me, no one thought Canelo was this good. You know, Canelo, even having two competitive fights, no matter how you score it with Triple G, is super impressive. I mean, I felt he clearly lost the first fight, and I scored the second fight for Triple G, although I could totally understand it going either way. Um, look, when I was at HBO three years ago, no one at HBO thought a fight between Triple G and Canelo would even be remotely competitive. You know, the attitude was sort of like, let's hold off. Like, Canelo is clearly the future. This is a big fight for us. But at the same time, let's really make sure it's going to be competitive. And you can even go back and look at the language that we used to talk about Canelo. And you see what I mean here. Canelo was a quote-unquote boxing superstar with quote-unquote like matinee idol looks while Triple G was the rising monster and, and, and the knockout king and all that kind of stuff. But he was avoided at all costs, all that kind of stuff. He was the real deal, though, and, and Canelo was the superstar. That's how it was phrased. And look, we're at the point now where no matter how you scored this last fight, Canelo is the official winner. The judges who scored for him are highly regarded, extremely respected judges. And you got to give props to Canelo and his resume. No one out there as an active fighter besides Pacquiao 
has a better resume than Canelo right now, and I think that's saying something. There aren't even too many fighters that you can make an argument to put at his level in terms of resume. Um, I talked a bit about both fighters looming free agency (coughs) last episode. (coughs) Right now, there's no major changes for this episode. It's clear that for Canelo, there are networks that don't even currently televise boxing out there that are interested in him. Keep an eye on that. I think there are a couple really interesting situations that could arise from that. Um, But more likely, you know, it's going to be one of the networks that do televise boxing, and there are plenty of those. I sort of said last time I thought Showtime was a natural destination for him. I know things did not end well between Oscar and Steven Espinoza with the way that Golden Boys split up. But oddly, Espinoza has sort of uh, put Richard Schaefer on the outs, and maybe maybe because of that, it'll work back out for for Oscar and and Steven. And maybe that's that's certainly the natural pay per view destination for Canelo. And I think pay per view's got to be part of the equation uh, for Triple G. Tom Loeffler is saying publicly that they're going to do it on a fight by fight basis, and honestly, I. <clears throat> really wouldn't be surprised to see him fight on several networks in the right matchups before his career is over. I don't think he'll have a super long career uh, left, but I do understand Tom saying that and maximizing the revenue that, that Triple G is going to get per fight because I think he can he can draw big pay-per-view numbers in the right fight, but besides Canelo, I'm not sure who that is. Whereas I think Canelo can just do it for everybody. All right. On Saturday, September <coughs> excuse me, 22nd, we saw the U.S. debut of DAZN with Anthony Joshua's KO7 over Alexander Povetkin. Let's give DAZN a few fights before we actually take a closer look at what they've given us. But just as a quick note, I was in suburban Florida during this fight, and I watched it on my phone. It was a great experience. I did not have Wi-Fi. I streamed the main event. I never had an interruption. I never had it even break up. It was great quality. I thought Sergio Moore did a pretty good job commentating. Uh, Brian Kenny was fine. I don't watch much baseball, but I know that's kind of what he does. I've always found him to be fairly knowledgeable when it comes to boxing. And I'd love to see what he can do moving forward. Um, Because obviously we're going to lose Lampley. And and so now, in my opinion, you know, Joe Tessitore is probably the top pure play-by-play guy right now. Um, And and Brian Kenny has a big opportunity here. Uh, He might end up being really good. The one thing, the one thing I will say, a few people pointed this out as well, but not having translators for the Russian corner really hurt the broadcast. For me, you know, in a fight of this magnitude, that stuff really matters. I actually had Povetkin winning for the first six rounds, and you knew it was headed for a tactical battle because Joshua was doing stuff even as early as the second round to set up that big right hand and some of his other power punches. And these are the type of fights where it's like really imperative to hear what any trainer speaking a foreign language is saying, because AJ did land that big shot in the seventh round. But if he didn't, we could have really gotten into the later rounds where at least my scorecard, maybe not the official scorecard, but mine might have still had Povetkin up. And those types of tactical battles where one fighter is trying to win the fight on rounds and the other strategically even giving up certain rounds in order to set up bigger shots, that's where, you know, hearing what the corner has to say can add significant, you know, drama to the whole setup. Um, What comes next for AJ? Uh, well, the other stuff from Hearn makes it pretty clear it's probably not Wilder in April. Uh, the story is always going to be sort of this posturing back and forth, and I'm even really just ignoring it right now. 
One side's going to say one thing, the other side's going to say something else. Here's the reality. The British general public has by far the loudest voice in this this process. You know, boxing writers and hardcore fans care about legacy, and they should. And legacy matters a great deal to me from a marketing standpoint for a variety of reasons. But right now, just because two or 300 hardcore fans in the U.S., and and even if it's a couple more than that in the U.K., just because legacy matters to us, there's several million people in the U.K. who speak much more loudly with their wallets than those of us in the U.S. and, and the hardcores in the U.K. And what they are saying is that as long as AJ fights someone good, it doesn't need to be Deontay Wilder. Uh, AJ's going to get paid the same amount whether he fights any top 10 heavyweight with the business that he's doing right now in the UK. Maybe this wouldn't be the case if he fought a mandatory for one of his belts. Maybe you'd see a decline then. But what we've seen with Dillian White and Carlos Takam and Joseph Parker and now Povetkin is that it doesn't matter who AJ fights as long as they're decent, he gets paid the same. And that's really bad news for Deontay Wilder because until Wilder brings something to the table financially, something significant, it really doesn't make sense to meet Wilder's financial demands for the fight. Right now we're in a precarious position because there's a lot of barriers to making it real. Barrier number one, Wilder will cost more, at least double, I'm sure, what AJ's paying other opponents right now. And there probably isn't a whole lot more UK revenue on the table. There's certainly some, but there's probably not a whole lot. If the fight's going to be in the UK, yeah, you can raise ticket prices for the fight. But AJ's already selling out Wembley, and there isn't much room to increase ticket revenue that much. Pay-per-view, yeah, you can build this fight up because it's with the big, bad, undefeated American, and you can increase pay-per-view sales, but UK pay-per-view sales, they're already high for Anthony Joshua. (coughs) And when you look at other ways to optimize revenue, it's really bringing the fight to the United States. And a a lot of other people have said that, but that's that's like those are the steps in the process for why that's necessary. You know, AJ's on DAZN, Wilder's on Showtime. We'll find out what Wilder versus Fury does for pay-per-view buys in December if the fight actually happens, but even the most optimistic pay-per-view buy rates where Wilder beats Fury by KO and the fight does really well on pay-per-view, like let's say it sells over 300,000. Well, even the most optimistic if they do the fight in the U.S., it's still like how much over 500,000 pay-per-view buys is it going to get? Like that's optimistic right now. I mean, maybe with a, with a marketing plan where you introduce Joshua through some sponsors, maybe it's Beats by Dre or Under Armour, you use those to introduce him into the United States, maybe it gets higher. But, you know, you combine this with a big gate in Las Vegas, still robust UK pay-per-view, you're still not increasing AJ's paid payday by that much. It's got to get to that point where it's like a million pay-per-view buys in the U.S. That's where we're talking. And this brings us to barrier number two, especially when you consider that Eddie Hearn probably thought by now he'd have a lot more high-profile U.S. fighters on zone. You can make a bet. He's, he's sure to – he's going to make absolutely sure that – A.J. Wilder ends up on zone because of how much is at stake with his contract there. He can't let that fight go to Showtime pay-per-view because of what that fight would mean for subscriptions to his service. You'd have to think that no matter where zone is by the time the fight is made, that fight's worth minimum six-figure subscriptions. Given how much leverage Eddie has in these negotiations and what's at stake for both Showtime and zone. The chances we see this fight in 2019 depend totally on what options Showtime can dig up for Wilder. We might even be below a 50% shot here. If Wilder runs out of options and he's looking at getting paid 2 or $3 million from Showtime versus DAZN paying him $15 million to do the fight from the UK on DAZN, that's going to be tough to turn down. 
The clock is now running on Espinosa to turn Wilder into a pay-per-view star or risk losing him for a fight or two to DAZN. I've talked about this a lot. If Espinosa can pull it off and give Wilder paydays closer to several million dollars in that seven, eight million dollar range, we may not see AJ and Wilder in 2019, and that'd be a bummer. But I get it. I mean, I, I don't want it to happen, but I understand. Showtime wants to crush DAZN. They don't want to see Wilder fighting over there. DAZN, of course, doesn't want AJ fighting on Showtime pay-per-view when their asset in Anthony Joshua is probably a big sub-driver. Even just fighting guys on Povetkin's level in the UK, you got to think still a lot of people tuned in and, and gave it a shot just for that in the United States. AJ, he's already making the money he makes, and it gives him no incentive right away at least, to take that Wilder fight. So this could be a vicious cycle. I hate to be the the voice of, I guess, reason, but, but non-optimism for whatever that's worth. All right, moving on. On Friday, September 28th, <coughs> excuse me, I am so sorry. There was quite a bit of boxing on Friday, September 28th, and... I did not get to preview any of it. The biggest fight that we don't have viewership numbers on was Callum Smith defeating George Groves by KO7 to win the World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Tournament and the Muhammad Ali Trophy and capture the WBC and the Ring Magazine 168 titles. This was a really good fight. I watched it on the zone, not live, but I watched it on Saturday after I got home from vacation. I didn't know the results. Um, and from that point, it was a really good viewing experience. I will say it is a pain in the ass to fast forward through that. Um, and I'm sure they will fix that at some point. Um, but I noticed that when going through Bellator as well, ESPN plus also needs to work on this, but, um, let's just focus on this fight for right now. Uh, you know, it's clear the British feed, the UK announcers, I thought they were fine. I thought the environment was a little weird in Saudi Arabia, <coughs> which didn't make it as big of an event as it did for the cruiserweight final, but still bravo to the World Boxing Super Series. The real interesting thing here for me was the promoter aspect of it. Tom Smith is with Eddie Hearn, George Groves is with Sourland. Um, so I was looking at what potential options there were for the winner. You know, when you look at this weight class, the champs are Gilberto Ramirez from WBO and top rank. Uzgateki is the IBF champ, and I think he just fought on ESPN+. Plus. I think he's not officially with top rank, but he's with Zanfer, I think, and, and working with top rank on ESPN. David Benavidez is with the WBC champ and the PBC, and he just failed a drug test. And then obviously uh, Smith, oh, correct me from the game, he won the WBA title, not the WBC. Smith is the WBA, and he is with Hearn. Smith clearly has the best options. He's the champ. He's the World Boxing Super Series Tournament champion. Um, he clearly has the best resume just by participating in this tournament. Um, what comes next? I don't know about James DeGale. DeGale split from Eddie Hearn not too long ago. Rocky Fielding doesn't get me excited. <coughs> um, maybe Eubank Jr. gets me a little bit more excited. I think that fight probably makes sense for the UK. you got to think that eventually top rank will, <coughs> will look at unifying their guys, but they aren't working too quickly uh, for that, and who knows what's going on with David Benavidez. Um, you know, this wasn't as successful for the World Boxing Super Series as the Cruiserweight was, but I still think they elevated the division. They elevated all the people who participated, uh, and, and I had fun watching the finals. All right, moving on. On ESPN Plus, we have Jose Uzcateki winning a unanimous decision over Ezekiel Moderna and Yerwin Akahas, fighting Alejandro Santiago to a draw. <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot to say about this. 
the Ancajas fight, I'll say, was relatively entertaining, but also a warning sign with Ancajas and the types of opponents who could give him uh, some issues. In the larger picture, he is one of the fighters that Top Rank has featured on ESPN+. Plus. For better or for worse, if you are a cord cutter, he's one of the guys you may have ended up investing some time in. That's not a good sign for him. On Saturday the 29th, Jorge Linares wins by KO3 over Admiral Cotto on Facebook Watch. Not too much to say about this either. Linares moves up to 140. I think there's going to be plenty of great fights for him at this weight class. Concerning thing here is that right now the show had barely over 500,000 viewers. And the trajectory for this series, where the first fight had over 4 million, the second fight had 2.5 million, and this fight came in at 500,000 for Golden Boy has got to be concerning. I think there are extenuating circumstances to all these fights. Look, this, this weekend there was a high volume of boxing on, and especially on Saturday night, there's also the MMA debut of Bellator on DAZN in a pretty interesting card. Although, <coughs> at least for boxing, nothing except the World Boxing Super Series model was really something I consider to be a top-level fight. But the trajectory is terrible from the first fight. I mean, let's be honest. Let's see where it goes. I hope Golden Boy can reestablish those numbers in a much better area. But remember, as I've always said here <clears throat> um, for Facebook Watch, this is not about viewers, or it's not just about viewers. It's also about engagement. So if the engagement was there, then it, you know we're in great shape. Um, you still got to look at that overall number, 500,000 views. got to be disappointing. Um, <clears throat> on Sunday the 30th, we had the Victor Ortiz-John Molina fiasco. PBC made the right call here, especially given that they are now moving into getting actual license fees from Fox. It was not a hard call to make, and let me be clear here in terms of the human element of this. I am all for Victor Ortiz getting his day in court, and we all must remember that these are accusations against him. But no matter what circumstances led to this, these are very real accusations, and if you are acting like a professional league, you need a lot more information on everything involved before you let this guy fight. Um, let's leave it at that. All right. On to the deep dive. State of the Union for boxing right now. And the elephant in the room is that my former home <coughs> of seven, <coughs> seven years, Jesus, I am... I'm coughing like a madman. This is what I've been dealing with all week. I thought it would be better. But at this point, I just got to get the podcast out. It's been three weeks. The elephant in the room is that HBO is out of the live boxing business. There's so much to say here. And I don't want to get too much into the minutia of it right this second. I think the machinations of what it means to the industry are much more interesting to me. And quite frankly, I'm not qualified to write the obituary for HBO Boxing. I was there seven years, but I am not a journalist. And although I love the sport, I actually did not have HBO growing up as a little kid. Uh, and I watched boxing sparingly until I was a teenager. It was only as I wrestled a lot more and got a much deeper appreciation for combat sports that I started getting into it. So I can't talk about classic fights in the ways that others are capable of it. But, I mean, when I was a little kid, I watched, like, WWF. Like, I watched fake wrestling. That's what led me to wrestle in the first place. <coughs> um, but let me start by saying, first and foremost, that even as I left HBO the people who worked on boxing there were incredibly talented. They learned from some of the best and they were mostly great people. My heart goes out to anyone who has lost their job or who will lose their job as of December 31st, which is how it's going to go down. Um, I encourage anyone 
in the boxing industry or in the sports industry who has job openings to look at these HBO people no matter how low or high on the totem pole they were. I'm sure they were all really good at what they did and could offer something. Um, and on a very personal note, part of the reason I'm talking to you right now is because I, like some others along with me, were concerned about the direction that things were going in for live boxing a while ago, and we sought out other opportunities. That's the reason I'm talking to you right now, because current HBO employees are not allowed to do podcasts about the sport. I'm doing this podcast because I love the sport, and I loved working in it. Now, I don't want to get too deep, like I said, into the minutia of what caused my concern, because it involves a lot of explaining and a lot of information that I'm probably not allowed to talk about publicly. Um, and quite frankly, it's a lot of stuff of understanding personalities and like corporate machinations and all that kind of stuff. And just is probably really boring to most people. Um, <clears throat> but I am happy to talk about it in broader strokes here. And what I'd say is if I were to sum it up in terms of who has the best takes on this stuff, I think Bob Arum and Lou DiBella have talked really intelligently about this over the past few years. And I think most of you listening probably know what they have to say. But over a long period of time, the HBO budget for boxing dropped, obviously because over time it became clear that the big events that first got HBO subscribers, the comedy shows, the concerts, the big fights, those became less of a factor for subscribers than the big series. Movies used to also be huge for subscribers, and they still are, but back in the 1990s, that was the only way other than going to like blockbuster, blockbuster video to watch movies if you didn't own them already. But as we move past the mid-2000s, where let's be honest, the corporate commitment to the sport started to dip. <coughs> And while a lot of places have covered that, one of the things I want to emphasize is there were years even before 2010 and especially after um, and maybe even 2005 where the budget dipped. This goes back to the show I did about ESPN and Top Rank and why Top Rank sought out another partner. They didn't just wake up one day and decide, hey, we should just leave HBO. Like, this started a while ago. And it just moved a little bit each year. But I also want to emphasize the budget went back up certain years to previous levels. And look, back when Ken Hirschman was hired, you know, no matter what you think of him, they went out and got a real executive. Like, HBO hired someone with a legit resume. And you can probably say starting in 2005, really, that's when there was a clear corporate mandate to cut costs. And when HBO cuts costs, it doesn't come from Game of Thrones. The movie output deals were made years ago, and you can't cut those. Here's what I mean by that. HBO has an output deal with Warner Brothers movies because previously Time Warner and now AT&T also owns Warner Brothers Pictures, which means HBO gets the first win <coughs> the first windows for those movies when they air when their theatrical release is over and they go to pay cable. And those deals are made for years at a time and they don't go up or down. So what that means is that when HBO needs to cut its budget because Time Warner is asking for more money from HBO, it comes from programming and marketing. And it doesn't come from the hit series of the moment. It comes from docs, comes from sports, comes from HBO original movies, comes from special events. Bill Maher and John Oliver do less shows. 
even the shows I'm not I won't name names, but there might be a show that you liked that wasn't as popular. Instead of twelve episodes they did ten, or instead of ten they did eight. That's how it happens. You know, there's less fights. The ones that they air are Superfly rather than Glamour Division title fights. There's less stand-up specials. Lou DiBella has said this publicly before, and he's spot on. The commitment to the sport needs to come from the very top, not just whoever is in charge of boxing at the moment. And this time, this time in 2015, HBO lowered their budget when they were making the company look lean for a sale that the Time Warner board in hindsight clearly wanted. This time, unlike all the other times when they lowered the budget for whatever reason, competitors took advantage. Maybe it started with Les Moonves getting pissed off that they took his guy in charge of boxing. Maybe Les realized that Espinosa could get Floyd make that big contract work and increase the budget and subscribers will go for it. But that is still the myopic world of boxing. This time, because of so many other factors that we've talked about in this podcast in almost every episode, there were competitors ready. There were people who understood live sports and they pounced. HBO left that door open for others to take advantage. And before 2015, no one had really taken advantage. But this time they did. And even though there was incredible brand equity built in for many years, it started to dissipate. This time when the door was open, Top Rank jumped to ESPN. And ESPN successfully sold ads against boxing. This time the PBC, for as little as they accomplished with their time by, at least they consolidated their fighters on Showtime, and then this fall negotiated that Fox deal. Which is, it's, <coughs> again, this, that's no small feat. That's very impressive. No one knew who DeZone was in the spring of 2018. And we... Don't know whether they're not, you know, whether or not they're going to succeed, but they wouldn't have even had an opening if HBO had a respectable budget. And maybe it wasn't just this time because I've talked to a lot of my former colleagues, and, and look, there's a lot of varying opinions on it. Some think it was a this is a fait accompli from three years ago. Some think that there was a chance that AT and T would decide that they wanted to stay in the business. To be fair to these types of corporate issues, both could be true. The plan can change several times as the situation changes. What I'm not going to do right now is sit here and play Monday morning quarterback on mistakes that my former colleagues made because a lot of times their hands were completely tied and they had to go out and face the music no matter what. What I will say, though, is HBO doesn't do half-ass. They certainly don't do off the metal stand. And they don't like doing silver or bronze. They do gold medals. They win awards at the highest level. And they want you to think whether you are a showrunner, a fighter, a documentarian, an icon of any kind, that when you go to HBO... Whatever you bring there is special. You are the best in the world at what you are doing, and you have something that belongs on a premium platform that will put it on a pedestal like no one else. So unlike other moments in the past where HBO left the door open, this time others walked in. And when it came time for AT&T to decide whether or not they wanted to be in the boxing business... It wasn't just a matter of taking the budget back up to where it previously was. This time they had to double down and give, give it some real time and commitment because many of the best fighters were 
under contract elsewhere already. The market for fighter pay had gone berserk for so many of the reasons that you've heard about in previous episodes. <coughs> Who'd have thought that the red light district of sports, at least at the lower level, would be so attractive to places like Fox and ESPN? You know, HBO has maintained publicly and privately that the research they had, it said that boxing wasn't contributing to subs, to subscriptions. That's what I mean by subs, obviously. Just stating it for the record. And given how many subs HBO has right now, that could be true. Maybe they've moved into the general public for subscriptions to the point where hardcore boxing fan subs don't matter. But what I will say is that there's a disconnect with that stance and what is happening at ESPN and Fox right now, and at least with what Showtime is saying publicly. You've heard this in previous shows, as other sports got more expensive and as less people watched comedies and dramas on networks, and the demographics changed such that the boxing audience started to be better for advertisers, the playing field shifted. And now they're never going to be the same. You guys know that I'm all for disruptors. But now the entire boxing industry is in disruption. To the hardcore fans, and I'm sure that most, if not all, the people listening here are hardcore fans, you know that Showtime became the industry leader probably last year, if not before that. HBO wasn't. And we're in a whole new era now. Bob Arum is right. Less Moonvis or not, Showtime is going to have some issues keeping up. This is not just an HBO thing. It's a pay cable thing. If ESPN and Fox can successfully sell ads against live boxing and build their OTT service on the sport, Showtime might be the leader right now, but they're in trouble too. Fox is spending about as much as Showtime spent this year. Maybe Showtime will spend more next year, maintain their leadership. It sounds like they are based on what Espinosa is saying. But this is like Fox on an experimental deal. Remember, FS1 had the UFC as something like 30% of their programming hours as recently as a year or two ago. And if Fox is just going to throw an experiment at the sport of boxing, that's the like the same amount as what the pay cable industry leader is spending, I mean, pay cable is in for a tough future. Fox has a lot of hours to fill on, on Big Fox and FS1. If that thing's successful, it's going to pay a lot more than Showtime can afford. And ESPN's already proven it. Like, they're not proving it, they've proven it. That new deal is proof. Boxing fans are tough to please, but here's what I'd say about all of this. Most of what has come out of HBO was very nostalgic, but let's be honest. Most of you over the past few years have gotten increasingly frustrated with the boxing marketplace. <clears throat> HBO wasn't delivering like it used to. Showtime has stepped up, but it still isn't close to what the HBO of old was. And now you've got lots of competition and lots of options. That $15 you used to pay for HBO can go directly to DAZN and ESPN+, and you'll have a lot more boxing than you used to have. It may even work out that you may not have to pay for pay-per-views like you used to as well. If Canelo goes to Showtime, you'll probably just be seeing him on pay-per-view, but if Canelo goes to DAZN, your pay-per-view bill might be reduced significantly over the next couple of years. I don't think he'll go to the zone, but hey, he might. You want a competition, and now you have it. And like I've said all along on this podcast, all the complaining about new apps that you have to get to watch boxing and added fees, we shouldn't be hearing that anymore. If you still subscribe to cable and you're paying over $250 a month for everything, you need to take a serious look at your options because they exist 
and they should be getting cheaper for you. You can't just be lazy and tune in to whatever the HBO of old has for you. <clears throat> the rest of this year is going to bring you lots of options every weekend. All right. Let's move on to some news and notes. Let's look at some major pieces of news that have happened in the last three weeks. All right, first, ESPN hitting 1 million subs for ESPN+, Plus, which touches on a lot of the things we've talked about on this show. For those unaware, ESPN put out a press release saying that the service, which launched in April, hit 1 million subscriptions, some of which clearly came from a move where they converted ESPN Insider subs to include ESPN+. Plus. I'm pretty sure that was six figures. <clears throat> but even in the press release, they said that the vast majority of those subs were not attributed to the ESPN Insider move. This is very impressive to me because... Five months is not a lot of time to hit that benchmark, and I think it speaks well to what boxing has done for it. They've added some lesser college football conferences, and there's always been a base of international sports like rugby and cricket. The soccer has been impressive. I mean, they added Serie A, which is the Italian league, featuring Ronaldo now, and they put some significant MLS on as well. But you've got to think that boxing has been one of the major subscription drivers for the service. Having the Crawford and Pacquiao fights probably got a lot of people to sign up in those early days. And those international cards that they've had that have been consistent enough with a high enough bar for quality that if you're a hardcore fight fan, how can you not subscribe for $4.99 a month? I mean, that just seems obvious to me. It's not like it, it was some fight, you know, fight network either like the exclusive UFC contract is coming but you know remember half the UFC contract is on regular ESPN half of it is exclusive to plus it doesn't start till January so you got to think that much of that core fan base hasn't fully signed up yet this benchmark number has got to leave top ranking ESPN feeling great about what they've done with the boxing programming on there although as you know from previous shows um, I do have a lot of qualms with the way the service is presented. Not necessarily, though, with the content <coughs> that they put on there. All right. While we're still on ESPN and Top Rank, let's talk about Kathy Duva's comments, which came from a Steve Kim article written on UCN Live. Here is her exact quote. There is absolutely a proxy war going on, she stated, talking about ESPN and Fox. And they are trying to crush the zone because this is an upstart that's coming into the country and going to be competing with them for rights to every sport. And I don't see where the networks are going to afford another player coming in to take <coughs> a piece of their pie. And so they are fighting right now on this ground, boxing. And between Fox and ESPN, they're going to buy up everything they can so DAZN won't get in. I think Kathy Duva is really smart. She's seasoned. And while main events does not have a major deal like an exclusive with DAZN, Fox, or ESPN, they're still a big player and they're great at developing fighters. I don't necessarily agree with her on all of that statement. I think to a degree... It is true, um, but the fact that she's willing to go on the record and say it speaks volumes. Bottom line here is she could have taken that Kovalev-Alvarez fight to ESPN or DAZN, and she took it to ESPN. That's showing a lot of respect <coughs> for what ESPN and Top Rank have done. It's not a great sign for Eddie Hearn either because now that HBO is gone, there is going to be a feeding frenzy for obviously Canelo and Triple G, but also everything else that has been lingering out there. And if that Saucedo-Hooker fight was worth $1.6 million to ESPN, then the stable at main events <coughs> and Golden Boy and K2, they're going to get some real money too. Those promoters 
will have to live with co-promotions for their top fighters and products for the time being, and certainly for main events, Tom Loeffler, Joe DeGuardia, those people of the world. They've got experience. They've got low overhead. These kind of license fees are going to keep them in business and probably be just as good for them as anything HBO is going to offer. Golden Boy, I'll come to in a minute, but back to Kathy's comments. This is an early victory for Top Rank. It's not a great omen for Eddie Hearn and zone, and it's something to keep an eye on because Eddie Hearn right now does not have the stable to justify casual fans subscribing to zone. I think there are plenty of reasons for hardcores to subscribe to World Boxing Super Series. Some pretty good nights of fights so far. You know, obviously the Anthony Joshua fights. But the early signs of, of <coughs> where the top-notch fights from other promoters are going to go in this world, they point at ESPN and not disown. Okay. Oscars negotiating tactics with ESPN and HBO. I've already talked about Oscars' behavior and the negative effect it had on the promotion of Canelo Triple G2. But just so everyone's clear, <coughs> Oscar started out by questioning HBO's commitment to boxing while he was set to begin negotiations for Canelo's next contract. And this is obviously before HBO announced they'd be out of the game. One of the general rules that applies to negotiating any deal with anyone is to not openly question their commitment to you in the press when you're about to start negotiations. The other thing Oscar did is go onto Twitter and talk shit about ESPN Plus saying no one watches it. And the funny thing here was that he did this on the same day that ESPN Plus announced they had 1 million subs. But more importantly here, Oscar literally has a deal with ESPN right now. I was watching their fight earlier today. <clears throat> I know that Top Rank has a much more prominent deal with ESPN and Golden Boy, and you previously heard me say that if I was Golden Boy, I'd try to make that Facebook watch deal work out and put my <coughs> my best developmental <coughs> product on that platform rather than ESPN, but wow. I've never heard of a situation where someone openly mocks a network that they have a deal with. All right. Mayweather Pacquiao 2. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about this right now. They initially talked about it as if it would be in December, which clearly isn't happening. Wherever it lands, this will be something that has a major effect on the boxing landscape. Um, I know no, 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 no one wants to hear that, but it's true. It's going to end up eating a pay-per-view date, and... While there are only going to be two pay-per-views this year, assuming Wilder Fury <coughs> really does happen, that's a big deal. Um, and you might ask why. Well, if you thought the, if you thought the last fight, <coughs> excuse me, was a cash grab, this one is going to be the ultimate version of a cash grab. Mayweather clearly isn't going to have an interest in fighting anyone of note. After this, so if he wins, then Showtime, who I'm assuming would do this one, gains nothing by doing this fight other than than money, and I'm not even sure they'd make that much money on it. If if Pacquiao wins, that's much better for everyone involved, but it, pro <coughs> it probably means Pacquiao has a really sad fight against Spence or Crawford next. I mean, I guess he could fight Khan in the UK or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I didn't want to say a whole lot on this. It's a fight that I'd watch if it did happen, but I don't really care if it happens or not. I think I just would watch it. I'd look, I mean, <coughs> I watched that Ankaha's fight on ESPN+. Plus. I watched Linares beat Abner Cotto on Facebook Watch. I'm obviously, if you put it on, I'm going to watch it. So um, I'd rather watch it than anything like that for sure. All right, Wilder Fury, December 1st at Staples. Stevenson Vazdik on regular showtime as sort of a, a quote-unquote undercard. 
even rumors on social media today that Cesar Chavez Jr. was going to be the actual co-main for Wilder Fury. I've talked about this fight probably in almost every episode I've done in some way, shape, or form. I stand by everything I've said. If the fight happens, I'm definitely going to go. I actually think it'd be a really tactically interesting fight to watch. Um, And to be fair to it, it's off to a really promising start in terms of making news and having successful press conferences, but it's never going to capture mainstream attention. Look, it's also helped (coughs) by not having any other pay-per-views towards the end of this year, but I still don't see how it does much higher than 250,000 pay-per-view buys, and I think that's being generous. There's a lot still to go on in the promotion. And I think the worst version of it may not even do 150,000 pay-per-view buys. I don't know what to make of the Stevenson-Vosdick fight happening before it on regular Showtime. For the very hardcore fans, that makes a nice night of fights. But for anyone looking for a reason not to buy the pay-per-view, it actually won't help them at all. If you want a real-world example of this, go look at UFC pay-per-view buy rates for cards that don't have major stars. They've gone downhill big time, and even some well-established fighters that aren't sort of that undeniable star, they get below 200 or even 150k in terms of pay-per-view buys frequently. A huge part of this is just the sheer amount of decent MMA available to fans. So why would they spend $70 on a fight that maybe at a different time of the year might be available to them for free as part of a network show? It's just one factor, and trust me, there are many factors. But if you look at the boxing schedule for the fall, it is loaded. There's a major fight on almost every weekend. If you look at the schedule in the aggregate, they're clearly going to be a portion of hardcore fans who say, I'm getting a star fighter or a big fight or maybe even two or three decent cards every single weekend from October 6th through December 8th except maybe one weekend in November, why am I paying an extra 70 bucks for this one fight, especially when Showtime has given me Stevenson on the same night? If I was Showtime, I'd probably put this card on the week before, which is Thanksgiving, I think, and (coughs) still, I'd have put it on in the build-up to the main event. I know Espinosa doesn't like to compete with big-time college football, but... December 1st is still huge for conference final games, and you're trying to convince core fight fans to buy the card, not general sports fans. All right. One more thing before we go to the preview section. Um, I'm doing my second article for ringtv.com, Ring Magazine. I guess I'll have another one in Ring Magazine, I believe, later. This one won't be, but... Uh, My next one is going to be on ESPN and Fox and the sustainability of networks successfully selling ads against boxing. It should be coming out soon. Like I said, I'll have one or two more before the end of the year. Please look for it. Please let me know your thoughts on it. My last one was pretty well received, but I am new at writing. I want to get better, and I want to write, you know, with the the voice of the fan in mind, even though that's I'm I'm analyzing some of this stuff. I, I want it to be geared towards what fans want out of this experience. Um, so please give me feedback. I appreciate it. All right, on to the preview section. On October sixth, we have the debut of DAZN for a U.S. based card. Jesse Vargas versus Thomas DeLorme. Archer Baturbia versus Callum Johnson. Danny Roman versus Gavin McDonald. And Jarrell Miller versus Tomas Adamek. Vargas is just about a 3 to 1 favorite. Beater Biev <coughs> is actually all over the place, but I mean, you can find him anywhere from like 6 to 1 to 12 to 1. 
Roman is just under three to one, and then Miller is like thirty to one ish. Um, so pretty well matched at least for two of the fights, and I think Callum Johnson does have a path to victory, or at least a path to a competitive fight. Um, we also have that day on ESPN Plus, a card from the UK featuring Jack Catterall versus O'Hara Davies and Nicola Adams versus Isabel Milan. And then, believe it or not, another ESPN Plus card featuring Luis Neri from Mexico. Catterall Davies is a pick and fight, so very well matched there. Um, all this is on the same day that Conor McGregor is making his return to the UFC in a major fight, which I think will affect everything. I know a lot of people that listen to this prefer boxing to MMA, but trust me, there's interest in both, and Conor McGregor returning to the UFC is a huge deal, not just for fight sports fans, but for the general public. It's going to do at least a million pay-per-view buys. Um, don't listen to Dana White. It's he's. It might actually be their biggest pay-per-view fight ever um, for a card they did, but that's still, at least from what people have told me, it's not anywhere. They haven't done anything that approaches two million yet. So, um, even if it hits that two million pay-per-view by Mark, which I don't think it will, um, you know, it's not. It's not. He's sitting there talking two point five, three million, that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Um, but it does matter. It's a big deal. And the Yankees and Red Sox drawing each other in the MLB playoffs is another blo- <coughs> blow to this card. New York is always going to be the number one or number two market for boxing. And this boxing card just isn't special enough to justify missing McGregor in like a classic UFC matchup of like the greatest striker versus the greatest wrestler and a classic Yankees Red Sox playoff rivalry. You know, it's all just going to hurt the zone's card and I'm the classic example of this. I'm going to watch the UFC card live rather than DAZN on Saturday. And I'm a more of a boxing fan, obviously, than an MMA fan. Um, on Sunday, October 7th, <coughs> in a real interesting fight card on DAZN's World Boxing Super Series programming, we have Naiwe Inoue versus Juan Carlos Payano and Kirill Relic versus Edward Troyanovsky. In a way, he's around thirty to one as a favorite, but I just kind of like what I like watching him. You know, he sort of has that Golovkin, early Golovkin factor, except like way smaller of a human being. And Relic Tro- Troyanovsky is a pick and fight. Um, I think it was always going to be tough for the World Boxing Super Series to get a great <coughs> first round matchup for someone like Inouye, but. Um, you'll certainly see intriguing matches coming up in the second round. Then on October 13th, we have Terrence Crawford returning to the ring in Omaha to fight Jose Benavidez Jr. for the WBO welterweight title. Also on the card, Shakur Stevenson in a 10-round fight. Look, this one, the thing I'm actually most curious about here is what level of promotion ESPN does for this fight. It's clearly a huge sports week with MLB playoffs, NFL regular season, and college football both in full swing. And they really didn't have a fight like this last year because Crawford fought in August and Lomachenko (coughs) fought in December. October is a tough month (coughs) for this kind of thing, and I think expectations might have to be lowered a little bit for viewership depending on what MLB playoff games are actually happening that night. Crawford is about a 21 favorite, and and while Benavidez is a good fighter, this really isn't a competitive fight. Uh, <coughs> top rank's going to have to start getting creative uh, for after this for Crawford. You know, part of that is simply Crawford is truly a great fighter, and there's likely only one or two fighters out there that he wouldn't be a huge favorite against. But part of that is the obvious need for top rank to get one of the PVC fighters to fight on ESPN and, and really test Crawford. <coughs> um, 
sorry, you guys, this has been a crazy broadcast for me. I obviously am sick. Um, there's been a lot of coughs that I've paused this thing for. I, I hope, I feel like Joe Tessitore in that Oscar Valdez fight where he just tapped out at a certain point. Um, but I love doing this. I had to get it out. Uh, it's been three weeks, uh, and I appreciate those who've asked, asked me about it. Um, let me just finish up here. DAZN also has a few broadcasts that day, I think on, on the 13th. You know, one from Russia, whether it's the Zolani Tete fight versus Mikhail Olyan. Um, Tete is like a five to one favorite. I think there's an Eddie Hearn UK card with Lewis Ritson and Francisco Patera. Um, Facebook Watch is showing Angel Acosta versus Abraham Rodriguez for a junior flyweight title. There's no odds out on some of that stuff. I think Ritson might be like forty one favorite. They're not, none of these are really major fights compared to that Crawford fight. That's, that's a big time fight. I know I've droned on for a while. Um, I usually don't go over an hour. I think I'm a couple minutes over an hour. There's so much going on and I didn't even get as deep into some of this as I wanted to. It's good to be back. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy my article. I will definitely talk to you in two weeks. There is no way I will do a show as sick as I am for the rest of the year like this. This is as sick as I get. But um, <clears throat> look, I'll, I'll I'll be back in two weeks, and there's some good fights coming up. I'm going to say this every single time from here through the rest of the year. It's really this is a great time to be a boxing fan. I think. The zone, at least for hardcores, is delivering really good content right now between World Boxing Super Series and some of their cards. I'm just excited to see to get like that UK style, style card. Um, and everyone else is stepping up their game too. So, all right. I will be back. Talk to you guys later. Did you get what you was looking for?